So what, what did what did it feel like to be a head boy? First in, in what, 200 year history? Just over 200. Yeah. It, it was from an a, ethnic minority, right? Yeah, from yeah. an ethnic minority. Yeah. It's, it's a real privilege. I'm very proud. You know, I was 18 years old, um, but very proud. And uh, and hopefully that that's paved the way for, for other uh, 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 you know, students of, of, of ethnic minority background to say, you know, that they can also achieve that as well. But no, very proud, very privileged. Um, and therefore I was destined to join the army. So, uh, uh, and had everything set in, set in place. But uh, yeah, again, my experience in Malaysia changed my mindset or outlook in that. So uh, I joke with my dad. I think I'm still, I'm still a disappointment to him, right? But... Uh, <laughs> Hi everyone, you're listening to Dalbat Power, podcast about inspirational Nepali stories. I'm Andy. I am Sandy. Yes, and we're not good cop, bad cop. In fact, we just do donuts, the healthy variety. But um, today, speaking of donuts, we have, well, inside joke, never mind. We have a special guest today, uh, principal director. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, let, we'll let our guests speak about themselves first. Go on. Thanks very much, guys. It's a real pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, yeah, my name is Amal. Uh, I know Sandy and Andy from back in the day, uh, from our times in Hong Kong. So there is that inside joke that Andy uh, referred to. But yeah, my name is Amal Gurung. I'm the college director and principal at the Brunel University London Pathway College, uh, working at Brunel University in West London. So it's a great pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming to the show. Uh, so do you want to elaborate a bit more and Tell us about how you ended up in this field and a brief summary of your journey there. Well, a brief summary is pretty uh, uh, understatement uh, to, to <laughs> okay. where where I was, you know, arrived right now. It's been a it's been a it's been a long journey, but uh, but I think from my pers- my own perspective, it's been a it's been an interesting one. Um, no, I mean I'm in the education field, um, but I never grew up, uh, to, you know, and aspire to become what I did today. Obviously, uh, life happens and plans change. Uh, but no, uh, born in Hong Kong, you know, uh, son of you know. Uh, 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 British Army officer, uh, you know, travelled the world, you know, followed dad around uh, and came across to the UK, studied here, saw the world a little bit, came back and uh, here I am. You know, I tried to pursue various other options along the way, which I might go into later on. But uh, yeah, I- I'm in the UK now and uh, and uh, working in education. What kind of influences did it have on you growing up? As it be, You said around the world, right? What, what the, what's it, how's that influenced you? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a cliche, but, uh, you know, sometimes um, we talk about identity and, uh, and and cultural intelligence is, I think, the key thing that uh, mm-hmm. when I reflect on uh, has really uh, shaped uh, my outlook in life and how I lead and how I work as well. Um, I think I schooled in about four or five different countries. Uh, I did my GCSEs and A-levels in a, in a military boarding school here in the UK, the Duke of York's Royal Military School. Um you know, coming from that rigid environment, army background and so forth as well, I thought, you know, for my universities, I wanted to see the world, you know, I wanted to, to explore the Asian in me as well. Okay. So, uh, you know, we came across a, a two plus one program in uh, in Malaysia, you know, where you do two years of a degree course and come back to the UK for the final year. And uh, so I explored uh, and went to Malaysia and came back and... Uh, you know, I, I referenced, I went to a military school, you know, army background. So I was destined, you know, I guess I was being primed by my father to to join the army, uh, following his footsteps and uh, follow, you know, uh, do the traditional thing. But my, I, get, I think my time in, in Malaysia really uh, opened up my eyes to a different dynamic, a different culture. Okay. So uh, that kind of right. took, took me a, a different course in life. Okay. So you, you finally treaded cliche gate and you surpassed it, but... Um, 
All right. Not many people choose Malaysia as an education desk destination. Why did you make that decision? Ultimately, uh, for me, it was around uh, uh, life experiences. Yeah. Of course, the academic is important and they had a very good product there, you know, uh, from an academic perspective. Right. But like I said, I wanted to explore, uh, you know, there's a wider world out uh -huh. there. I wanted to, you know, explore, you know, uh, what it means, you know, to be, to live in the Far East, to be exposed to a different, uh, a different culture and, you know, a business yeah. dynamics and ambience as well. So that's what I did. Uh, I didn't okay. know anybody there. I was 18 years old. Uh, you know, young, naive, I guess, innocent, uh, mm -hmm. you know, no friends or family there, but I went there, did it. Um, and I, I believe I'm, I'm better for it. So I'm, I've still got very lifelong friends established uh, from there, you know, and uh, uh, they helped me, you know, in terms of how I do my work right now. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, you were studying account uh, accounts or what were you studying in no, I was studying a business degree. So oh, it was, business. A, it was oh, okay. a yeah, okay. it was a BA in uh, in, in uh, I forget now. So many years ago, it was a BA in uh, marketing with human resource management. Oh, okay, because okay. because right. uh, I thought you were doing accounts at one point. Were you not? I did. That that was where my life took another turn again. So uh, so this is when I came back to the UK to finish off my degree, and after that, I thought, you know, um, you know, that's when I thought, you know, I'm not going to join the army. What next? So uh, let me explore the accounting field as well. Because, you know, I did marketing. I did, you know, human resource. And I thought, that's not really for me. You know, I'm, I'm missing something. So what else can I do? Well, you know, where, where's my other interest and strength? So I thought, you know what? Let me do, let me let me pursue the accounting field. So, uh, yeah, I studied uh, ACCA. Okay, right. Okay. And then uh, why didn't you pursue that as a career? And you you kind of went to the path of education, right? Tell us yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was working as a, as a, as a, as a property accountant uh, down in Camden for, for the Ringley Group. Okay. Um, and um, I, w I was working through my ACCA papers. You know, you, you do it, you know, paper mm -hmm. by paper every term. Um, work was good. Uh, it was enjoyable, but something was missing again. You know, it's okay. like th that the spark wasn't there, you know? So uh -huh. I thought, oh no, not again, Amal. What's happening, right? Um, but then education fell into it. So uh, when I was, you know, when I, the Malaysian University that, that I was studying at, uh, they wanted to open up a campus in London uh, and they reached out to their alumni, you know, to, to engage and, and, and uh, potentially work with them. So when this, you know, when this conversation came through to me, I thought, you know what, uh, this sounds excellent. You know, it's probably right timing. Maybe it's fate, maybe it's destiny. So, uh, you know, I dropped uh, you know, uh, my accounting job. And I, and I, and, and that's how I fell into education working as a director for international development. So to, to understand this, the, the uni you were studying in Malaysia, right? They wanted to open a branch in the UK. So is this kind of like a full circle or there was a meaning to that when you went to Malaysia in more ways than one, it came back to you. They said, Hey, uh, let's set up something here. And do you want to help? And you know, you left your thrilling job as an accountant, as everyone knows how thrilling accounting is to pursue a new career, right? Totally, would you say it's a 180 from what you were doing? Yeah, from a career perspective, absolutely. There was the glamour and glitz of international travel, you know, oh, uh, yeah. campuses, working with, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, every day would not be the same. You know, you're not, you're not just crunching numbers. But I think the principle was around around the education industry itself. It kind of uh, uh, spoke to me in terms of what I did as a youngster going abroad. You know, I was able to, uh, create and facilitate, you know, a process which students from Malaysia could also come to the UK, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I think the purpose is a lot more higher. And I think at that point, that's when I, we talk about the why, we talk about the purpose, right? And I think, you know, you know, thinking about joining the army, you know, um, think about becoming become an accountant, wasn't working out, wasn't, inter you know, I didn't find that interesting, although the profession is very respectable. But then I think when this, uh, when the education role came in, I think that's when I found my purpose. Okay. Were you not involved at that time uh, 
in recruiting students from Nepal? And how, how, did, how did that come about? That was one aspect oh, okay. of, of the role, but essentially, yes, it, you know, I was working to my strengths and uh, recruiting students from Nepal as well and promoting the, uh, the institute. Um, so yes, that's, that's how actually, um, maybe it's a conversation for later, but that's how I actually met my, uh, my wife as well you know, okay. through, my, through, okay, my, uh, through my frequent visits to Nepal. Okay. okay. Right. Wow. All right, then. So what were the challenges in recruiting students from Nepal anyways, in terms of uh, education and uh, paths, careers? What was that? What was what are Nepali students like as a, you know, international student? I, I think in terms of resilience, in terms of ambition, in terms of courage, you know, just anyone, any international student coming abroad, you know, is, is you know, is hugely respectable. I mean, I, and I lived it going to Malaysia as well, and I know mm. the trials and tribulations. So uh, I think any international coming abroad or going abroad uh, is is hugely respectable. But for Nepalese, I think uh, uh, the university I worked for was for, was uh, focused on the creative industries, and I think. Traditionally, uh, you know, uh, from Nepal and other regional areas, you know, you know, we talk about this traditional subjects, you know, around business or, or medicine or nursing and stuff like that. But I was able to uh, perhaps uh, uh, create a little bit more awareness around the creative industries, around graphic design, around multimedia, around, you know, fashion. And uh, so, yeah, so a lot of the students I actually recruited for the university was was in those subject areas as well, which I'm quite proud of. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how did how did you go about recruiting students in Nepal? initially because obviously you didn't have that sort of background so no i mean um, there's a lot of support you know it wasn't just me going in there i had colleagues who'd been in the industry for a while that's already been operating in in nepal so it wasn't just just a one-man oh, okay. show and of course we've got lots of uh, partnerships within within nepal itself that will actually enable and there's a really uh, effective infrastructure there to to provide the best counseling provide a good advice and guidance and really match you know uh, applicants or students uh aspirations to, to, you know, to the course that they, you know, they, they, you know, they embark on. I mean, it's a big challenge asking, you know, like, uh, especially in Nepal, where the mentality is, you know, left side and right side of the brain, you're talking about recruiting people in creative, you know, subjects, right? Was so w w there's definitely probably going to be a challenge in the mindset of uh, maybe their parents or something yeah, convincing, convincing the older them. generation. Yeah. So, you know, your part of your job actually to convince people is also to uh, give, give them understanding of what the industry is and everything. Right. And do you think that is rewarding in itself where, you know, you recruit people and when you onboard them? And you can see that uh, their growth, or do you, did you see that part of it, or did it was just recruitment? No, I mean, I think, like I said, recruitment is just one aspect of it. It's more about about the awareness and 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 creating opportunities for them to learn about other areas, other industries. Yeah. I mean, I think right now we talk about Gen Z students and uh, Gen Z, the demographic, they're a lot more value based now. You know, they're they're a lot more focused on graduate outcomes, you know, employability and, and upskilling, right? So it's not about just going there trying to convince parents and so forth. It's about about, you know, informing them about, you know, the wider perspective, mm. what, what jobs could you get, you know, um, also around values, around sustainability, around around how green we are, about how uh, you know, uh, the gender side of things, you know, who sits on the board. So it is, there's a lot more things to mm -hmm. it than just going then convincing parents. You know, there's right. this whole plethora that we need to be looking at to, 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 so the students can actually make the right decision. And so how has COVID, um, how has COVID affected the whole um, education industry right now? International students? Yeah, I mean, I hear there's still a lot of like, especially uh, students from Nepal still coming to UK, but obviously with lockdown and everything, how has that affected like, international students, I guess, or Nepalese students coming here? 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting time, um, and there's been some really great learnings from this whole experience. Um, the whole idea of online learning has always been a an aspiration of for, for many institutions. There's there's a quite a few select institutions doing it, like the Open University. Um, you know, but when the pandemic hit, uh, mm -hmm. by 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 default, everyone had to pivot to online delivery, whether you had the skill sets or not. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, many many students, you know, like, you know, we hear about the stories in the UK about A levels and GCSE students not being able to engage. Absolutely, those are, you know, it's 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 quite a, you know, it, it, it is quite a challenge for the for those students. But I think the students that we've I've liaised with, you know, I've experienced, they've they've been really um, they've really uh, immersed themselves in in this change. They've been very forgiving. Uh, they've really engaged. And in, in some instances, it does work for some uh, for, for for some uh, for some students, depending on where they're from and what their what their sort of like commitments are. Uh, but no, it's it's been difficult. But I think students have actually engaged with it. They know that you know what, um, you know, COVID is not going to go away. The pandemic is not going to go. You know, we just need to adapt a little bit as well. So uh, where where possible, in in terms of guidance, we do try to compensate for the lack of online delivery with face to face smaller seminar sessions, mm -hmm. so they can actually engage, network. Mm -hmm meet other students uh, and the best learning is via group learning as well and we're trying to enable that okay i mean um you mentioned online learning uh, are students international students still coming to the uk or could they not do that from their native country well th th they can i mean they can i mean the whole idea of students you know uh, choosing to go to uh, a, a foreign university or coming abroad is not like i said the reasons i chose malaysia uh, malaysia as well is not just for the academic piece but it's also for that international exposure, that mm -hmm. experience, being away from home, independent living, meeting people from different cultures. So yes, I think remote learning is there uh, and, and they'll, you know, uh, and people uh, sometimes accept it for the time being as an interim measure, uh, but it's not a means to an end, you know, our students, you know, want to come to the UK um, mm -hmm. and uh, there are there are government regulations in place, and I believe from UKVI as well. I think many students need to be here by a certain point in time as well. So it is an interim period, yeah. uh, but we are doing everything we can to short and make sure that we can teach students face to face. Yeah, I mean half the experience. half the experience is the experience, right? Like you said, of the culture, yeah. you know, everything really that encompasses being able to go to another country. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, but I mean, with COVID, must have uh, impacted a lot of students coming here as well because obviously they can't experience the culture we've just talked about because they're in lockdown yeah i mean like uh, last year for example or most of this year yeah when when lockdown happened um you know we you know as part of the organization we did a lot of uh reviews and in you know research and, and did a, you know, a lot of insight analysis as well trying to find out what's going to happen you know in terms of uh, of stu students coming across and so forth as well student behavior is very hard to gauge uh initially uh students were saying no um, online learning is not for us. You know, we want face to face. So we perhaps we'll defer up, up, you know, our place. We'll, we'll wait things. We'll wait to see how things uh, turn out. But no, like I said, students are very resilient. Students are still very steadfast. The, 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 the Gen Z students right now are so, are so ambitious and so actually inspiring as well that they're just getting on with it now. You know, so you don't, mm -hmm. don't worry. We'll take the online right now as long as we'll be able to transition to face to face. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Okay. Yeah, because I think a lot of people coin the term snowflake for the millennials and Gen Zs, right? And I think that's in some cases it might be, you know, they might have a point, but I see a lot of entrepreneurship with Gen Z, Z, especially with social media platforms and everything. When you talk about careers, right? A lot of these people pivot towards being uh, entrepreneurial. And I see a lot of that. Do you see a lot of that with your students in uh, in way uh, in your uni? 
college? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we talk about um, how resilient Gen Z guys are. I mean, this generation, they've gone through multiple recessions. You know, they've gone through pandemics. You know, they've gone through so many things that other generations haven't gone through. Of course, there were the baby boomers and, you know, that, that came through, you know, the, the, the wars and stuff as well. But I think just this generation, we should underestimate uh, their attributes and uh, what they aspire to be. Um, but yeah, we, we see that entrepreneurial spirit. We, we, they are very demanding in, in a very constructive way. They, you know, they, they like their, you know, they like their programs to, to have employability skills. They're really focused about their outcomes, what they're going to do. They want, you know, studying is very expensive, you know, at the moment, um, you know, international fees as well as home fees for students right now are over £9,000. There's a lot of student in debt. So they, they want value for, they want a return on their investments, essentially. So absolutely, uh, very entrepreneurial. At the same time, they know, they know what they want, you know, and they ask for it as well, which, which is fantastic for us, for us to develop our programs, develop our products, and, and, and make sure that we give them the right experience so, so they can go, you know, yeah. go out into the world. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Okay, interesting. Um, now, going back to like the previous university you worked at as well, or college, Limcock Wing, and then you're now at Brunel. Uh, what would you say is different working for your previous employers, I guess, or Malaysian versus okay. a British university? So one Malaysian, one being British, yeah, right? Yeah. Is there the, the, uh, the mentality, the methodology, you know, all that stuff? I mean, challenges. Yeah. What would you say would be the main differences that you've experienced? It's, it's a cultural piece again, and I, and I think uh, the fact that I, uh, I've experienced various cultures is actually able to bridge the gap, you know. So I think sometimes when people think about, you know, for us as Nepalese, you know, uh, we're Nepalese first and foremost, but we know we're living in the UK world, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a case of... Um, do we need to choose who we are or, you know, uh, I feel a little bit lost. I don't know who I am. In fact, we need to embrace our experiences, you know, being, you know, we lived in Hong Kong and so forth as well, right? We need to embrace that and, uh, and use it to our competitive advantage as well. And I think right now, in my role right now, knowing what I know of my experience in the East, you know, working for the Malaysian University, coming across here, working for a, for an English university, I'm able to bridge the gap in terms of those cultures as well. Because uh, the internationals I'm working with, they come from all over the world as well. And, so, mm -hmm. and the fact that I can relate from my experience to them actually helps me uh, uh, provide them in a better experience, you know, in terms of what they're expecting. But no, if you ask me what the key difference is, I think it's, it would be the, um, the pace of work as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think Malaysia, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emerging economy as well. So they're very fast paced, you know, whereas obviously, uh, and it was a very young university, whereas Brunel, you know, is established, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, and they're very considered in what they do. They're very ambitious, uh, but they're very considered in what they do as well. So uh, the pace of work is slightly different, but in terms of ambition, aspiration, in terms of the ultimate purpose, it's equally the same about creating aspirational learners for the future uh, uh, and getting them ready for the world of work. So when you say pace, so Malaysia, uh, it's it's faster or yes, it's it's faster in terms of uh, uh, growth, right. okay? Because it was a young university, so I'm not okay. talking about Malaysia itself in general. I'm talking mm. about university yeah, I work yeah. for as mm -hmm. well. So there's a young university, ambitious, and they wanted to. Uh, they had strong ambitions to you know create campuses or establish campuses in various countries. In fact, they covered uh, three continents at one point as well. Wow! So uh, they're dynamic and aggressive in their 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 direction right absolutely i think their purpose was to create a globalized university so mm -hmm. that students can actually experience you know uh, time in each country uh, and, and graduate mm -hmm. you know uh, okay. being a global citizen of the world so that was a purpose which i really resonate with as well and that's what we're doing here at brunel at the brunel pathway college so this pathway you just mentioned uh, can you can you expand more on that 
Yeah, so um, it's, it relates to widening access and participation as well. So uh, essentially, uh, what, what, what you know, what the Pathway College does is we're, we're a foundation provider. So if we have, if there are uh, applicants who who slightly miss the direct entry requirements into into Brunel University, they have the option of joining us, spending time with us. We, you know, we get, you know, we give them the welfare, the support, the smaller one-to-one personalized tutorial, uh, a, a structured environment for them to uh, develop. Uh, and they be able to transition into the university directly. So basically, the students who have slightly missed the English or slightly missed the academic intro, uh, entry requirements to Brunel, you know, they have the option of joining us, and we give them that soft landing into 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 UK life, into UK studies. Because of course, uh, studies in Nepal, studies in you know in India or, or Hong Kong is you know is slightly different to how it is in the UK as well. So we're trying to acclimatize them in that one year or two years that they spend with us. Oh, so it can it can go up to two years? Yeah, so uh, we offer a foundation program, we offer a year one program, and we also offer a pre-masters as well. Okay, yeah. a pre-masters, hmm, Oh, wow. Okay, so, all right, so it's, uh, does it does it really, uh, is, it, is it, can it work with any university or is it exclusively for Brunel? That- the, the concept is actually uh, is wider, uh, okay. but ob- I'm working with the Brunel partnership. But okay. the concept of pathway providers is wider, okay. and uh, again, it resonates with trying to increase access to education. There are many students that perhaps because of the entry requirements would not be able to access university or higher higher education learning as well. So, what I'm doing is I'm enabling uh, that process for students who who you know who uh, potentially would not be able to access university access it in a via via okay. pathway route. Oh, so okay, so it's. Uh it's it's giving them tools to the accessibility in terms of um in terms of scholarships do you do anything like that in in brunel pathway or absolutely absolutely scholarships is is there it'll be merit based mm-hmm. uh, but we do have scholarships and uh, we we do you know we have hardships bursaries and so forth as well but, uh, the pandemic has obviously impacted uh, uh, you know families unfortunately financially as well so uh, there's a lot of support there from Brunel University and the pathway college in terms of enabling and supporting students in that in that in that way great so- okay brilliant just uh, quickly going back to challenges i mean obviously uh, i guess uh, being an ethnic mi- minority in the field of academia or education i mean what are the challenges you've faced working in the education sector in the uk yeah, so it's an interesting question. It's quite topical as well. Um, the challenges, I guess, is perceived rea- realities of my own experience, and uh, and, I, and I've always felt that uh, you know, go- being brought up in a British Army school and going to British school as well, uh, I've always integrated well. I've always thought, you know, and uh, uh, I never really experienced any challenges. But uh, I think, upon reflection, I just completed my uh, my second masters uh, recently uh, in education uh, from Brunel University, and. Uh, uh, as part of my dissertation, I was actually researching around uh, leadership uh, styles and uh, of of BAME leaders in in mm-hmm. HE, and uh, that took me on a journey around around my own past and my experience, and uh, and that got me questioning as well. Um, th- there are certain theories, you know, out there around white sponsorship or white sanction and uh, and, and the importance of networking stuff. As well. one example would be around. Let's say if I, you know, uh, I'm looking at my uh, my previous managers, and if they hadn't sponsored me, and they were white, if they hadn't sponsored me, would I have been able to progress as much, <clears throat> in, in, you know, through the ranks, or was it really based on my own merits? You know, so it got me questioning around around those sorts of things as well. So, I guess in in all honesty, I feel like I haven't experienced it, uh, but nonetheless, when I think back on my own experience, perhaps there've been pockets of that, but I've been fortunate enough to work with very very good leaders and managers that have actually enabled my progression. Um, 
but but I think one thing I would say is what I did like though was uh, I think um, uh, access to 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 a mentor that I could look up to you know that's that come from a, a you know from a from a BAME community where I could compare notes you know compare ideas and and and, and so forth as well so I think me being here uh, hopefully will allow me to uh, you know share my journey so that if there are other sort of like aspiring BAME leaders whether it's HE or or other sectors. It's just to reach out and I'll, I'll be able to share my notes and what I did, what I think we could be doing as well together as a community to, to you know, create a best, better environment for BAME, you know, aspiring BAME leaders. Mm-hmm. Right. So during all that experience, so you uh, went to uh, boarding school, English boarding school, military boarding school, right? And your time in Hong Kong and everything. Did you get ever have experienced any discrimination for your ethnic uh, by being Nepali or, you know? I mean, what... what what uh, were there any struggles when you first came to Duke of York? Because obviously you'd moved to a new country, new environment, everything new, no family, all by yourself. Yeah, of course. I came here as, well, as a thirteen-year-old. I left you guys in Hong Kong, didn't I? And I came came came, came to the boarding school. Uh, I think at that point in time, um, I think there were about four of us, you know, who came from an ethnic minority background. Everybody else was English. Oh, wow. um, but luckily, though, it, it was a military a military school, um, you know, with army background. Everyone who the Gurkhas were, so there's a lot of respect there, nonetheless. But of course. Um, you know, you think you think back on 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 some. You know, when when you're young, you think back on some some jokes. You take it as banter. You know, at that point mm-hmm. in time, you know, it, you know, no one means it. But when you think back on it, if it happened in this day and age, perhaps it was racism. You know, um, but it's, I think it's more about intention. I don't think the intention was anything uh, untoward, rather than just just young kids being innocent and joking around. I mean, I went there as a 13 year old. It's a, it's a, it's over, it's a 200 year old school. And I was, uh, and I became head boy in 1998 and the first person of Asian heritage to become head boy. So as an institution, it wasn't racist at all, but of course there were some banters and jokes mm-hmm. that, you know, that, 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 we, you know, that I experienced. So what, what did, what did it feel like to be a head boy? First in, in what, 200 year history? Just over 200. Yeah. It, it from was an a, ethnic minority, right? Yeah, from yeah. ethnic minority. Yeah. It's, it's a real privilege. I'm very proud. You know, I was 18 years old, um, but very proud. And uh, and hopefully that that's paved the way for, for other, uh, 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 you know, students of, of, of ethnic minority background to say, you know, that they can also achieve that as well. But no, very proud, very privileged. Um, and therefore I was destined to join the army. So, uh, uh, and had everything set in, set in place. But uh yeah, again, my experience in Malaysia changed my mindset or outlook in that. So uh, I joke with my dad. I think I still, I'm still a disappointment to him, right? But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, um, I wouldn't change it for the world because I think what I'm doing right now is is still even more impactful, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, transforming lives, uh, widening access to education for those who would not have been able to access it. Um, and I think I found my purpose. You know, sometimes you've got to go through various iterations in life, yeah. right? Uh, plans change. Um yeah. And my plans change a couple of times, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I think I found my purpose right now, but who knows? Talk to me in 10 years time, I might be doing something different. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you briefly mentioned that obviously you, your parents kind of were leading you towards the army. You know, and were, were they disappointed at that stage? And, you know, obviously they'll have changed their thoughts by now, but what were their initial thoughts that, you know, when you wanted to do something else? I mean, I joke, my dad is disappointed, but uh, I, I know mum and dad are very proud. Um, but if you look at my uh, my family background, from my father's side, it's, it's all army. But from my mother's side, um, you know, uncles and grandfather, they were actually in education. Uh, my mother's uh, father was was a headmaster oh, wow. in a school in, a, in 
in Malaysia, uh, where they were living then, uh, where my parents met. Okay. So in a way, I'm still doing my, my family proud, I believe, but just not from my father's side, but from my mother's <laughs> side in the, in the world of education. You look at you, you look at the uh, education field now, right? And we've already talked about the COVID. We've talked about Gen Z. Um, what are the other challenges that the education industry is facing right now? Besides those, there's the sustainability issue, right? What is what what is um, what is uh, uh, educate the education sector doing about sustainability and other things? What are the other challenges? There's many challenges right now, especially uh, of pandemic or the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And when I say challenges, perhaps I can replace that word with opportunities. Really, and I there guess you it's go. different. Oh, yeah. All right. It's also it depends on how you how you look at things, right? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Is it? And uh, yeah, don't concentrate on the finger, isn't it? That's the, that's a Bruce Lee one, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> you miss all the heavenly glory. Yeah. Uh, no, there's lots of opportunities. I think, um, like I said, the demographic is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the the values are changing of of, of the gen of the generation that, that are looking for education. Uh, industries are changing. You know, there's lots of work work right now. Like, you know, podcasts or, or, or vloggers and all, all of that sort of stuff as well. That you know, these these jobs did not exist. 10 years ago you know and your traditional three-year degree was 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 designed many 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 years ago uh, for the workplace that doesn't really exist right now by the time for example in computing you finish a three-year degree uh, by the time you finish it rather uh, whatever you learned in year one may be even obsolete so I think the pandemic in terms of how everything's been changed to online is just one example how things can change uh, if everyone unites and uh, there's loads of opportunity in terms of the digital uh, world, animation, artificial intelligence, uh, how we deliver programs, uh, you know, how technology can actually help, you know, uh, 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 teaching across various platforms from across the world, um, access to research and access to ex expertise. So uh, I think it's a real uh, key uh, moment in time, in the, I guess, in the education history. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, where we can look back on and say, right, that's when things actually uh, uh, was a catalyst for change going forward. I don't know what that change is. There's also discussions right now in the landscape, right. but there's absolutely there's def this is a real uh, key moment, I guess, in terms of the shift. That's good. That's good. Um, so um, it's really great that uh, in a, from a Nepali perspective that you are a principal director of a university college, right? Which is and it's really great in the sense that it's you know it's it's your part of the you know the Bain community representing that you know higher uh, higher position in that in education and it's that kind of representation that you you need to see to you know have uh, change your mindset or the you know the unconscious bias that we have that it's certain ethnicity that should be there or whatever you know and do you ever get any feedback from like let's say uh, Nepali students there who are surprised and say well I didn't know the, the principal director was Nepali do you any, get any feedback like that? Yeah I, mean, I was just talking to a, a parent just the other day, the other day from Nepal and uh, she um, she was she you know she reached out to me because she you know she saw my name on on on, on the offer letter for, mm -hmm. for her son and uh, it was it was a note just to say how proud she was, you know, that, that she saw Nepalese leading in you know, leading college. So that that was very, you know, it's very humbling. It's nice to, to receive feedback like that. But uh, you know, I'm just one of thousands, you know, uh, yeah. or, or more, you know, that are doing doing very well. And uh, I think I think you being able to find and source, uh, uh, you know, uh, more people to share their stories will perhaps help. Uh, inspire others as well. I'm not saying I'm inspiring, but I'm, I'm sure there are other stories as well that can actually inspire a whole generation. Um, and if they can do it, so can, you know, if I can do it, so can anybody else. Sure, sure. So, um, so would that be your advice leading on from that? Uh, 
what you've just met, mentioned, uh, would that be advice towards youngsters looking to get into, I, I guess, academia or education? I guess in anything, really. I think uh, in terms of career aspirations, I think uh, the cliche is, again, the sky's the limit, but it's all about having that growth mindset, isn't it? And having that resilience and uh, and also um, for, for Nepalese who have transitioned into the UK, you know, at some part of their life who have been born and brought up, sometimes, you know, the first thought is I'm confused. What, what am I? You know, am I British? Am I Nepalese? And so forth. Well. But I say is, you know, embrace it. You know, you don't have to choose one or the other. Combine it, you know, and, 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 and make it work for you. And especially right now in terms of leadership, you know, the empathy, you know, there is, you know, the, I talk about the resilience, you know, the, uh, the awareness. All of these things come from that cultural intelligence that, that we have gained from actually adopting two cultures. So I think make it work for you and uh, you don't have to choose one or the other, uh, you know, uh, united. The problem is I'm confused all the time because when I speak <laughs> Nepali, I have an English twang or a, you know, you know, you, you, when you speak, uh, how would I describe it? Just speak Nepali, Sandy or, or uh, Amol. And if you see, speak it, right? You'll have that twang, you won't notice it because you'll be communicating in English, right? And then it really does the muscles and the tongue exercises in and then you have a kind of accent that's kind of not Nepali, but or, kind or, of foreign. Or you'll have, you'll say a sentence with few words in English. In yeah, I mean, I remember right. when you guys used to take the mickey out of me as well uh, right. back in the day in Hong Kong. But no, I can, you know, Nepali mm -hmm. bolake the, you know, um, uh, <laughs> it's got a twang to it, I would say. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, subconsciously you won't really think it. But it's it, you, know, you don't feel it yourself, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But someone else picks it up. Yeah. Okay. So most important question: uh, What do you like with your dal bhat? Don't don't just say tarkari. Like, what sort of tarkari do you like? That's sort of thing. Tarkari is that is that meat or is that vegetables? Uh, oh, tricky. Don't know. Some is people it? think meat. Some people think only vegetables. Ah, don't know. What's your thought? My thought is that. Um, what is what kind of side dishes would you like? Is side the question. Dish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I love aladam mm -hmm. um, with my rice. I love galadal um, and bendiko. Uh, bendi, yeah, is yeah. is lady fingers, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. That, that's it. But uh, apart from dalbat, I know that's the name of the podcast. Obviously, you, you can't talk about food and not mention uh, momo, right? So oh yeah, uh, of course, yeah. It's it's what the number one food probably right now in Nepal. Momo. Yeah, other than dalbat. Probably. Well, I, I I didn't read the food meter recently, but um, yeah, okay, I'm yeah. pretty sure that, that, it's that's what I thought it was. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty high. Like other than your staple dal bhat, like momos, like the leading oh, oh, food. And we're talking about food. I was just talking about this yesterday as well with, with some friends around Nepalese cuisine. And uh, you know, Santosha, obviously uh, the master chef, uh, you know, he's really brought Nepalese food, hasn't he, to the forefront? And uh, mm -hmm. And when we think about Nepalese food, it's not just dal bhat. You know, there's still a lot of culture to dal oh, yeah. bhat, isn't there? And yeah. uh, the, the, the subcultures actually food yeah. that go with it and all the yeah. you know this I didn't realize it's like a 16 17 course meal like that's often go with, with you know go you know go with dinner so uh, the, the, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of history there you know in terms yeah. of what we you know what can offer so it's not just Alba I think it depends on the different ethnic background you're from in Nepal as well so everyone everyone's got their different food yeah that's a conversation in itself but you know uh, that's another rabbit hole we could walk into about the history of Dalbat but we'll leave it there um, so uh, any words of inspiration for aspiring future um, youth of Nepal or anyone who's in transition right now uh, for, for, for a career no I think uh, I've tried to uh, I've tried to uh, provide some nuggets of information later on but uh, no I think the key thing is uh, keep moving forward you know standing still is not an option keep moving forward incremental gains 
is the way forward, right? Marginal gains, uh, lifelong learning. And you only achieve that by learning all the time, upskilling yourself. For me, at 40, I just did my second master as well. So, you know, you've always got to learn and knowledge is power as well. So uh, keep at it. Uh, embrace both your cultures as well. You know, use that to your advantage and keep learning. Cool. Sound. Sound oh, advice. Okay. Well, thanks for spending the time in our office, Mr. Principal. All right. So <laughs> not your office. That's good. You, are, you probably have difficult conversations with students as well, right? So, um, or do you just do the good cop stuff? Uh, no, I'm, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I'm, all, I'm always Mr. Uh, Mr. Nice Guy, you know, uh, okay. I'm always Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Mr. Nice Guy, Thank for you. spending the time with us. And uh, I think with that, you definitely said there were some nuggets there, you know, F a few fries short of a Happy Meal, but it's, there's nuggets there. Right. Cool. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys.